Canadian Football Perspective is proudly presented by our good friends over at Fox 40, introducing the new generation of electronic whistles brought to you by Fox 40. The new rechargeable Fox 40 electronic whistle produces 120 decibels of software-defined sound power with the push of a single button. You can pre-order yours today at fox40shop.com. That's fox40shop.com. And don't forget, they've given you a great offer here through Canadian Football Perspective. You can take 15% off your entire order with the code CFP15. Again, fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15. somebody out there that might still want me and I, I don't think it's the end of the Cody Fajardo football book I think it might just be the end of a chapter it's uh it's tough to say you never know but um you know it's difficult to go out like this uh and to not you know your last home game and not be able to start and you have no idea what's going to happen in the offseason but uh, I love everybody in this building and this organization gave me an opportunity to play and uh the first really organization who gave me a lot of you know, confidence and pride and, and took pride in me. And so uh, it's bittersweet and uh, it's going to be a tough, difficult off season that I got to think and take time with my wife. I got a baby now. Um, so got to take a lot of things into account, but uh, I don't think my playing days are over and I hope I can stay uh, in the CFL for, for more years. Welcome everybody to the breakdown. Marshall Ferguson, Derek Taylor, who is coming to us live from Vegas. Yes. Right? He's in Las Vegas. I didn't even know that. I texted DT. I was like, Hey, uh, this Fajardo stuff, we kind of have to do a podcast, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm in Vegas. Give me a half hour. I'll run to find somewhere to sit down and relax and uh, be able to talk this through. So just in case anybody in Winnipeg was wondering how dedicated your play-by-play man is on 680 CJOB, there are no days off in the world of Derek Taylor. There's a chance they meet the Riders in the playoffs still. It's tiny, and it got tinier when they went to Mason Fine for the upcoming week, but there's still a chance, so we're still... Uh... We're still contemplating it, still working on how it would be and uh, how the Bombers would do against a Mason Fine-led Riders team. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I want to begin uh, just by asking you, because, uh, you know, off the top here, uh, for anybody who is just kind of like checking in through it, you go back to the very beginning of this podcast, if you can, a couple of different times and listen to the audio that I have inserted of Cody Fajardo's press conference when he had his first media availability of the week and listen to it a couple of times. Cause I know if you're here on the podcast, you kind of heard it in passing and as the music was playing and we welcome you in and all the rest, but I'm telling you like 
really go back and listen to that and like see whether or not that's the Cody that you know or if that's the grumpy Cody if that's the I I don't really enjoy the way I've been treated here Cody if that's no more Mr. Nice Guy Cody because I read a whole bunch of things into the interactions that he had which I said to DT before we began there's literally nobody else in the country I would rather be talking to right now other than you about this topic because you obviously spent time in Saskatchewan you were obviously there during the Fajardo days when he came in and replaced Zach and all the rest and so the the question that I have been wondering about that I want to ask you and I understand that you're not insider and reporting on the details of behind the scenes but you do understand the dynamic of that team i think as well as anybody in this entire country cody's relationship with the riders whether that be craig reynolds or if that be craig dickinson or jeremy o'day whatever how Hmm. how would you define cody's relationship to the saskatchewan rough riders organization oh i would i'm trying to think of the right word because you're you're kind of sensitive to everybody involved in it. Um, I feel like at this moment, it's wanting, right? They're wanting more from Fajardo on the field. You, you, you probably couldn't ask more from a guy off the field with the stuff that he does. They want more from him on the field. And Fajardo, it, it feels like just with, with the things that have been said and the things that have transpired in the last few weeks, uh, it feels like he's wanting support from this club that he lifted up. And he, I mean... In my in my mind, he he continues to lift up, even though the fact they're a six win football team. If this wasn't Fajardo, I don't even know what they would be. Um, so I think wanting might be might be the best description uh, that I have. It's, I mean, especially when Fajardo says what he said yesterday, it feels like this is destined for a breakup, right? Yeah, I mean, when when he says, "I hope there's somebody out there who wants me," uh, and again. This is not shocking because, as we know, there's turnover in CFL free agency, and there's been a lot of people posturing that you know, forget about the Bo Levi Mitchell stuff for a minute. Like, if you are looking around at just do you feel like you have enough at quarterback? It feels like Saskatchewan, whether it be their fans, media, otherwise, have kind of been saying for the last month, month and a half, two months, like, I don't maybe kind of. It's interesting for me to hear you say, like, he's still lifting them up because I feel as though. Jason Moss, and this might be unfair to Cody, this might be more of an overall offense thing, whether it's receivers or injuries or terrible protection that he's gotten throughout the year. Like, there's a lot of moving parts here, but I almost feel as though Moss wants to run a certain style of game. And the way that I remember you and I discussing Moss pairing up with Fajardo when you were back doing Saskatchewan Radio is I was saying... If you can take the quarterback run aspect that he has naturally in his game, great athlete, knows when to take off and run. When when he's healthy, he's he's incredible. If you bring in Jason Moss and you want to absolutely precision and pick apart those intermediate ranges and become a more efficient passer and maybe hit some of those deep shots and all the rest, then, of course, you go through 2021 where the deep shots are terrible. Then you go into this year where he's completing a higher percentage of those passes down the field but I still think the process is terrible. Like the ones that do get completed, it's like he's leaning backwards, running away from three guys, throws it off his back foot into double coverage. And oh, look, Duke Williams made a play. And at the end of the day, the statistics will show Duke Williams, one catch, 35 yards, and it will say completion to Cody Fajardo. But I'm watching that and I'm like, that's not good football comparative to what you're seeing with Kalaros to Dalton Schoen or Vernon Adams Jr. at times now to Dominique Grimes down the field or certainly Rourke when he was there or Jake Mayer when he decides to stretch it to to Bain or uh, you know some of the guys that they've had in there who I'm trying Henry, to yeah. Henry yeah Henry's the one that I was trying to reach for there but 
it's um I, I when I hear you say that he's still lifting them up, I think the natural rebuttal for a lot of fans across the CFL is gonna be, what do you mean by that? Because there's been so much of this public narrative and discourse that what Cody's dragging them down. And I don't, I don't know whether it's Moss is being dragged down by what he has available to him, or if it's Fajardo dragging down what Moss is trying to do offensively. I can't tell chicken or egg on that. Yeah. And and that's kind of the conversation that uh, in, in the first year, I just assumed it was going to go great. Right. I assumed Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo would just be like peanut butter and honey and boom, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, it, it just it hasn't been. You and I have been talking for a year and a bit, right? About is is Fajardo Moss not something that's going to work because it hasn't yielded the results? Um, just in in the, in the grand scheme of things, if I was building who's a better offensive coordinator, McAdoo or or Jason Moss, I would probably pick Jason Moss. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I mean. I don't necessarily have the knowledge to really fully make that decision, but I feel like it's Jason Moss. So when you add, in my mind, a better coordinator to a quarterback, you should get better results. But you added a better coordinator, in my mind, to a quarterback, and you've gotten way lesser results. Uh, And then the problem becomes, the problem every organization has is, is, are the coach and the quarterback not on the same page? Uh, Okay, we're going to have to pick one. Are there other problems that are contributing to the coach and quarterback not being together right like oh i don't know 60 quarterback sacks right an unrelenting amount of immediate pressure and teams sealing off the edge so fajardo can't spin out and the quarterback's dead in a second and a half right there's there's a lot that goes into this but i i think i think we can i don't know can we can we could you reasonably conclude that fajardo and moss are not a match because i feel like without a ton of forethought and evidence to to back it up i feel like they're just they're just not a match. Okay, so let me... The answer is yes, they are not a match. We have learned that. That is confirmed in my mind moving forward. I don't think Fajardo was going to be a part of Saskatchewan's organization, and I think a big part of it is that uh, him and Jason Moss do not work together. Now, there's a lot of reasons why a quarterback and a coach don't necessarily work together. I think a big part of this is that you know as well as I do, better than I do, DT, that I used to joke when I was doing Hamilton radio that at the exact same time, the CFL had two new Disney princes walk into the spotlight. One of them was Nick Arbuckle because he was this incredibly outgoing and kind and gentle and thoughtful man who would have a conversation, this big, bright smile. And he was this wonder kid who popped up in Calgary. And the other was Cody Fajardo who won Simone Lawrence hit to Zach Kalaros. And all of a sudden, Hey, here comes this guy. And that first game was terrible. And then all of a sudden moving forward, it was like, Ooh, Okay, like 2019 moving forward. It's like you accidentally just found your your franchise quarterback. Didn't mean to, but it happened. And obviously all of this is revisionist history now because we're three years extended from all of that. But I see the way that Jason Moss teaches, coaches, interacts with Cody Fajardo. Like we saw it on the sideline in Calgary at the end of last year where and I remember watching this in real time and being like, oh, God, that's a bad relationship. Because I was around for Kent Austin, Zach Kalaros at the end of his time in Hamilton. Oh, and, and there, yeah. was, there was a, in the 60 to one game against Calgary, there's always these moments, right? That stick in your mind when we follow the game, the way that we do, there was a moment in the 60 to one game where Zach threw a pick six to Trey Roberson and he went straight to the sideline and he went right to Kent Austin and Kent just kind of put his hand up and went, what do you, and then Zach said like maybe two words and Kent literally put his hand up and was like, that's enough. And just basically was like, 
go, go sit the hell down over there somewhere. Just, I have no use for you right now. And I know for a fact that there was major tension. You could see it on the sidelines between Zach and Kent by the end of their time together. Last year in Calgary, end of the year, Cody, I think it was like a, a late game situation. They were trailing on the road against the Stamps at McMahon. And he mm-hmm. goes, he, he's getting ready to call a play. And I think there's a timeout or there's an injury. Cody goes to the sideline and you see the conversation happening. And again, there's so much to be learned from these sideline conversations because in the heat of battle, that's what people really are. And I know this because like I would stand in, in those huddles with Stefan Patatsik and John Behe when I was at McMaster and they would say, hey, do you want this play? And I'm not going to lie to them at that point. If I love a play, I'm going to say, yeah. If I don't, I'm going to be like, oh, God, no, I, I can't do that. That's terrible. I saw a play in which Fajardo, and this is the night where he started complaining about not having the deep targets and the Duke Williams of the world. He had this conversation with Moss. He's kind of shaking his head going back to the huddle. He takes the snap. He chucks it deep and immediately takes off his helmet and starts yelling and screaming and running up and down the sidelines like, like I'm being forced into doing stuff that I don't like or I'm not good at or I'm not comfortable. That You can just see he's pissed. Then you see this year on the road in BC where uh, I believe it's an interception thrown by Fajardo. He comes to the sideline. TSN gets a shot of Moss and I clipped it and I tweeted it out because I read Jason Moss's lips because I know enough of football terminology where as Cody's coming off the sideline, Moss is going, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then Fajardo walks over and he says, was it quarters? Meaning cover four, right? Like spread it across the back end. He goes, was it quarters? And he asks again, he goes, was it quarters? And like Cody's off camera, but you see Moss go, well, he's wide the fuck open. And so like, you can read that wow, off of really? it. And that's where I see these interactions where, whether it's like Moss, you know, hitting Cody in the helmet of like, hey, get your shit together. Or like, hey, why are you not seeing this the way that I am? Or why aren't you playing the style of game that I want you to play? Or it's like, there's a part of me that thinks between the number of sacks he's taken this year, the fact that you can't instantly rebuild an offensive line, the fact that he gets treated by Moss like that on the sidelines, and that his personality doesn't really seem to be one who likes to be thrown into the fire of coaching, where like real hard, tough love coaching doesn't really seem to me like something that Fajardo would, would embrace or want. That's mm-hmm. why when I see him yesterday being like, I don't know, maybe somebody out there wants me. I'm like, there's a part of him that wants out. Like he enjoys being a franchise quarterback, but if I'm looking around at him right now, he might be looking at big picture and going, I got a, a young child. I'm married. I want to play football again but I could probably do without the media pressure and the fan scrutiny and the social media BS and getting hit all the time and having an offensive coordinator who doesn't seem to really like coaching me all that much. Yeah, that's, and that, that's, they're different. They're very clearly different guys, right? And the very best coaches are able to know what a guy is about. Like that's, that's gotta be by far the, the hardest part of being a coach, right? Is 45 different guys on the roster all have different personalities and all have different ways. Like uh, this guy needs to be made mad. This guy needs to be patted on the back. You know, this guy really needs to be patted on the back. This guy is, is bonkers and just don't go near him during game time because there's so many different personalities on my stupid high school team, a hundred years ago, totally different personalities from the guy who we knew was juicing to, to me, (laughs) the nerd who just, you know, not bad, but just kind of keep out of the way of, of the guy who guys were going to college. Right. So that's got to be by far the hardest point. And that's being used. And this is what I absolutely hate 
it's being used as a negative point against Fajardo. Like right. he's soft. And I just think that is total. You curse once, so I'm going to say that's total bullshit. Yep. That is total bullshit because tell me Fajardo was soft week eight of 2019 when he dives into the end zone against Hamilton for the game-winning touchdown, then goes and plays the range-shortened game the next week, absolutely unable to throw a deep ball because he ruined his shoulder scoring that touchdown. Tell me he was soft. Uh, was it against Winnipeg when they start on their they get a penalty and start on their own eight and drive for the game-winning field goal? Tell me he's soft in all these. Come on. That's crap. It's it's It just is. Guys can be in absolutely the wrong headspace, but to think that Fajardo, who has played injured, he went into the 2019 West Final. He had to be snuck into the hospital to get a shot into his ribs from a doctor in a rider's T-shirt who was going to the game later today and take on Willie Jefferson and the Winnipeg defense who was going to kill him, unable to throw the ball because he'd torn whatever it was, rib cartilage or whatever, that, or an ob- two oblique muscles, excuse me, and before that game. And... If not for one crossbar, the Riders go to the 2019 Grey Cup. So this thing about Cody Fajardo being soft is total crap, and I just I don't even have time for it. It just just because uh, a headstrong head coach and a I, I don't even know how to describe a, a more emotive player don't get along. We can't just say, well, headstrong is right. Run through a wall, take a salt tablet, rub some dirt on it. Bullshit that football was 30 years ago, but can't be now because we're now different. And the way we act. Uh, so on the on that side of it, you can't just lay this on Fajardo being soft because come on, that's I hate yeah. that one. It's it's out there. It's in fans. It's in the media. It's total crap. It's total crap because the guy's track record, though not the length of a Zach Kalaros or Michael Riley or the elite quarterbacks that you want to be compared to, uh, if in this game, just because you're not Michael Riley, bones made of adamantium. And you know, and will that appears to be made the same, like uh, yeah, like Wolverine. Come on, yeah, come on, that's crap for me. Crap, crap. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you're saying there, and I want to get to kind of the organizational side of this in a second. But I do. There's something I've kind of always wondered about Fajardo. Is it looks like his time in Saskatchewan's coming to a close here? Okay, is is there? And, and I'm not here to psychoanalyze it because I'm not qualified. But I, I've always wondered whether or not his demeanor his, again, big, bright smile and kind words and, like, the things that he believes in, the way he carries himself. And, I mean, even yesterday he's being told, like, hey, you're not going to play, and, like, does this team need a spark? And he's, like, giggling through it. He's like, well, you know, a spark's a heck of a thing. And, uh, you know, I, it's the spark, you can only get it when it comes from a quarterback. And so he's, like, smiling the whole time through where it's like, if that were Jeremiah Masoli, in my time dealing with him in the media, and he had just been benched for the final couple of games of the year, and they still had a chance to make the playoffs. And you said, does this team need a spark? Jeremiah, God love him. I love Jeremiah. I think he's a super interesting character, good football player. He would unequivocally say, I don't know, ask coach. Yeah. But Cody has this thing where it's like he's always on. And that, that plays well in a market like Saskatchewan when things are good. When things are not good, and you're always on, you become kind of like Russell Wilson in Denver right now, where things are not good, but you just keep stepping up there and being like, every day, one step at a time, you know, me and the boys, we're going to figure this out, you know, got to believe, and it's, then you're just like saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff, and you're keeping it positive, but there was a great essay on the, on, I think it was Monday Night Football Countdown this week, where Seth Wickersham from ESPN did this whole big thing on the concept of like, Broncos Nation, let's ride, and the whole output of this this piece, the the thesis, I should say, was 
that when things are not good, when you are not riding the way that you want to, and you keep acting as though things are just fine, people see that. Like, it comes off as being not necessarily fraudulent, but up against that line, I would say. And because Cody is always on in the media and he's always got this personality and the smile and carries himself and bounces around, I wonder whether or not it's just made him a really, really easy scapegoat in this situation. Which, again, I'm coming at it from the perspective of I don't think his play has been good enough. I think structurally he has things that are not great in his game. I think that there are quarterbacks out there that do things significantly better than he does in a variety of different aspects of playing the quarterback position. So I'm not saying everybody's just, uh, you know, pitchforks and flamethrowers and all the rest trying to go after Cody, but I am saying he makes it kind of easy to go after him because there's never any fear of him clapping back in the media and being like, that's a bullshit question. And no, that has nothing to do with me. That's about the team. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, if you think it's fraudulent now, it was probably, you probably should believe it was fraudulent all along. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, guys are who they are like all of a sudden we want a guy to be brooding and angry and not positive when it when they're six and ten like i i get it you want you want some sort of like the thought that hey we're gonna figure this out that's what everybody would say Mm -hmm. like we're gonna get together like uh i mean i don't have a ton of examples right now because when i was with the with the riders they were 13 and 5 and 9 and 5 and now the bombers are 14 and 3 so i'm used to a lot of quotes from guys who are winning right but (laughs) But you hear, hey, we got we got to figure this out. The Edmonton Elks will be like, hey, we got to figure this out. We got to get this together because that's that's how it's going to go. And I get some people just never liked Cody because he is uh, because of the sprinkles of Jesus, and he's very and he's religious, and maybe that turns some people off. And he is very happy, uh, but it, I mean, that's who he is. Yep. Deal with it. Like he he ain't changing because he's. He's made a couple million bucks being that guy. But that's, 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 that's interesting to it. me, though, DT, is like, that's who he is. But the problem is there's a lot of times where he's doing the media stuff, and I can't tell who he is. Because I, I, like he seems as though he's putting on this front of just like, this is what a franchise quarterback is supposed to be, therefore I'll say the things that franchise quarterbacks say, therefore I am a franchise quarterback. And so like, kind of an imposter syndrome thing yeah, in your mind. It's, it's like, okay. I, don't, I don't really know who he is. Like, I don't, I feel as though I know, Dane Evans is a good example from my time around Hamilton. It's like, there was no bullshit around Dane. Dane was like, when I suck, I suck. Here's what I need to fix. Like, here's what I think we should do better. Here's the play that I messed up on. Here's the, and I guess I just, I want that, that realism in my quarterback. And I never really got that from Cody in Saskatchewan. And I wonder whether or not it's because as much as he was the backup and the short yardage sneak guy, and he was figuring out the CFL and all that. I wonder whether or not he got thrown into the fire and went from, because in Saskatchewan, it's obviously more than just playing quarterback. It's franchise guy. It's on yeah. posters. It's the, the obligations to go do community events, which as you say, he's been fantastic at, but there's so much more than just from snap to whistle that goes into playing starting quarterback in Saskatchewan, in this country, in this league. And I wonder whether or not all of those other things surrounding, he might've been ready for being a starter. He jumped in 2019, like we say, played well. Oh, but I, but that I, game I, in Ottawa was awesome. Incredible, yeah. But at the same time, it's like Dominic Davis was great in that game, and look what's happened yep. since. So, yeah. But I, however, that was that was uh, that was the best game Dominic Davis will ever play in his life. Fajardo <laughs> had better games than that yes. week two game in Ottawa, right? Like Fajardo went up from there. Uh, Davis th- 30 of 39 for 370 and three touchdowns and laser beams. That's the best game he'll ever play. Fajardo went up from that week two game, like. 
he was he was the West nominee for MOP that year. And yes, a lot of quarterbacks got hurt, but he was what would he have put up? Five thousand, one thousand in a full season? Yeah. Based on those numbers? Like who puts up five thousand, one thousand rushing? Nobody. Yeah. And my reason in bringing that game and Dom Davis up specifically is because like a one game example of a player, uh, you know, doesn't tell the full story. As you say, Cody's season told a, a much different story. He was ready to step into that role, but then you go into off season and then pandemic and then cancel season and then come into the, uh, follow, come into the, right, following. The, the following season. He, he, his, he leads the team to a win over Calgary at home in the playoffs. Right. So we, we have evidence as recent as, uh, and the West final, they, sh- they should have lost that game by 30 because right. six turnovers and you lose by a score. You probably should have lost by way more. <laughs> I forgot they about beat, that. They beat Calgary in the West semifinal. The Calgary team that had this voodoo over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the brother who had voodoo over the other brother and la, la, la. Like, Fajardo is the quarterback of the team that, that wins the West semifinal against the Stamps. Like, we have evidence within a year ago that – Pajardo was pretty good. Yes. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that. I just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the big picture assessment here of like, how are we supposed to remember his time and the aspects that might've affected the fact that he's getting pushed out the door. It seems like at this point, um, protect the guy and, and he can play football. Like <laughs> yeah. Cody, Cody, Cody had a podcast with Isaac Harker and he, and he would always joke that Isaac had a better arm than he did. And I always found it kind of funny because when you watch Harker throw, like Harker put everything in his life and his parents' lives into every throw to get the wide side out. And you're like, damn, okay, that, that really, he really putting all your muscle strength into it. Fajardo thinks he has a worse arm than this. And it was ultimately probably pretty close. But I mean, Cody's, I mean, uh, maybe you can't do the Taylor Cornelius 20 yard deep out to Mike Jones on the sideline, but four by one and it's Kyron Moore alone to the, to the one side and he's one-on-one the safety's over to the other side. It, you just got to have a Ricky Ray arm to get that ball in, in there, right? For four, for a 45 yard gain and hit that and have your receiver not stop dead because he lost the ball in the lights. Hashtag Tevin Jones, hashtag bombers win this season, right? <laughs> but, but I mean, in all the skills that Pajardo has, sure. He's not this quarterback in this level and he's not this quarterback in this level. But there's no quarterback going that's a more effective runner than Fajardo. Yep. Like, and I, and yes, I'm counting in Vernon Adams. I'm counting in Jeremiah Masoli. Design run, scramble run. There's nobody whose skills, to my, in my mind, outla- out, are bigger than Fajardo's. He's yep. he's fantastic in those two results when he's healthy. So you can take that and you can add in the other stuff. And if McAdoo can do it, why hasn't Moss been able to do it? And is it the offensive line? Is it injuries and suspensions to receivers? What's the deal with this Saskatchewan offense? Yeah, and the team at large, which is where I wanted to go in terms of like organizationally to kind of round mm. out the, this podcast. Because uh, when I heard Cody's comments saying, I was told that it's not performance-based, but that the team wants a spark, is essentially the quote that was used from Dickinson. I'm like, that's the same thing, because you get a spark when – you bring in somebody who plays better performance-wise than you do. So, it, again, it's just a lot of words being thrown around that don't mean anything. And this is what I have found consistently throughout this season with Craig Dickinson in Saskatchewan is just kind of saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff that doesn't really mean anything because we can we can see through the BS. Like, we can see what was happening with Marino. We could see what was happening with Duke Williams after touchdown Atlantic in the pregame. 
we could see what was happening with Duke Williams on the sideline. We could, like, on and on and on the list goes. It's obviously been a crazy year in Saskatchewan. For whatever reason, it's typically a crazy year in Saskatchewan. But we've been able, if you actually follow the league closely and kind of know what you're watching for the most part, you can see through a lot of the muck of whatever gets said in media sessions. And when Dickinson comes out and gives his comments, and then Cody gives his comments, it reminded me a lot of, uh, again, this is a bit of a self-indulgent story, but it ties in because it was a Dickinson brother. Uh, when I went to training camp with the Stampeders in 2013, I went back to school in 2014. I knew I was never going to play in the league, but in 2014, Calgary played a regular season game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats at Ron Joyce Stadium. I ran into Dave Dickinson as he was leaving the field after winning over, I believe, the Dan Lefevre-led Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, oh, I love Lefevre. <laughs> ah, I love him. Dan, wherever you are, I love you. And, um, and Dave Dickinson's walking, and, he's, and I saw him, and I just want to go up and shake his hand, because at this point, I don't even know I'm going to be working in media, covering the CFL, any of the rest. So I was like, hey, Dave, Dave, coach. I walk over, and he looks at me, and he goes, hey, Marsh. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, we were keeping an eye on you last year, and then uh, – you know, things happen, and uh, that's okay. And I was like, what do you mean things happen? I was like, I thought I had a decent year. But that's that feels like that's probably the way that this got broken to Cody, is like, yeah, you know, Cody, like we, we don't have a problem with, you know, the things that are happening right now, and uh, but we're definitely going with Mason this week, okay, coming out of the bye, and it's like, so, so it's not good enough. And this is where I find interesting, this is where my mind goes. If Saskatchewan fans obviously know that their offense has not been producing to the level that you would you would hope for. Um, mm. If you're making the move to Mason Fine now, you're not doing it just to spite Cody, just to kick him out the door and screw yourself over and forget about the crossover. And you're doing it because you actually you have to make this move thinking that Mason might be able to legitimately give you something that Cody is not. If you think that this week, have you not thought that two weeks previous? Have you not thought that in Hamilton? Did you not think about making a switch at halftime? Like the weeks before that, when things started to trail off, to me, the idea that you can come out of a bye week, make this switch, throw Cody under the bus and say, we think Mason gives us a better chance to move forward. Okay, if you did, then it's just cowardice to not make the move earlier. And that's that's where my mind goes, is that if you're going to be a head coach and an offensive coordinator, and you're going to have your team's best interest at heart, make the move when you feel as though the team is struggling. Because what's happening right now to the Riders, and the reason that Cody is, is not playing this week going forward, it's not new. It's been happening for the majority of the season, and especially for the second half of the season, as they've actually played against more difficult competition. So I don't know why this was not addressed earlier, because they were kind of like hands-off, hoping nobody would notice that they were struggling it felt like for a while like hey we'll figure it out and lots of season left and we'll yeah. see what happens and then they come out of the bye week and they're like oh cody's been bad so he's we're gonna bench him now <laughs> it's like did you yeah, I, just realize that there were struggles because i don't think you did so why are you making the move now there's a couple of possibilities um one is they've given up on the season which i yeah. i doubt that's it i i think that i think that they I honestly believe that they're they're like, we're going to compete for as long as we have a chance. There's still a chance to make the playoffs. If it's 0.4%, we're going to take that 0.4%. So some might say, I think they've given up. I, I don't I don't believe that that Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson would, would give up. Um, is it setting the table for next year's quarterback? Because uh, Ryder fans have seen the Mason Fine. I've seen Mason Fine. He played in week 16 
last week against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Ticats had to win that game. The Riders didn't care. Their playoff spot was set. And Hamilton just ate their lunch, like just ate their lunch. And even even Marino's enforcer on on uh, Jeremiah Masoli that he got fined for didn't, didn't turn the tide in that game for all the Marino stands that may exist. Um, yeah, Let me throw I, one at you. Let me throw one at you on this because this, to me, even though under different circumstances and different power structure and organizations and all the rest, last year when I saw – the Edmonton Elks make the move for Nick Arbuckle when Brock Sunderland was there with Jamie Elizondo. I saw that move and I was like, oh God, that is desperate. And it wasn't mm. because I don't believe in Nick Arbuckle having the capacity to be a starting quarterback in the CFL. It was because I'm like, they're just grasping at straws in order to say like, if we go and get a different guy, maybe we can use him through the offseason and sell belief that we should keep our jobs and then we can go into next year with fresh hope. Well, what did that buy Brock Sunderland oh. and Jamie Elizondo? It, it didn't buy them anything. They were upgraded ticket out of town. Hopefully. Yeah. So this to me was whether it be O'Day or Dickinson, otherwise was them agreeing to make a move that probably isn't in the best interest of the franchise in the short term, but in an attempt to say, look, at least we're doing something. And again, that's where the term cowardice comes to my mind is because like, if you believe that you're giving the organization a chance to do something, but you're doing it, now, after the Hamilton, like that Hamilton game was essentially like a winning your in for basically both teams. I think I saw uh, ET underscore stats that does the great uh, stuff on Twitter. I think I saw him tweeting out like win probability and what it would mean to the playoff seating and all the rest. And he basically, I think at that night was like, whoever wins this game has the best chance to be able to be in that third spot in the East Division. Like going forward, regardless of what Now, we never knew Hamilton was going to win for the first time since 04 at Calgary and whatever. But every single effort should have been thrown at the Hamilton Tiger Cats by Saskatchewan in that game. And it kind of felt like the night just drifted along. Dane Evans made a couple of bad interceptions and he got away with it because Saskatchewan didn't do anything to go and win the game. And that's why I'm like, I, I feel as though this move is being made just to show, hey, Ryder Nation, look, we're trying. And it's like, yeah, yeah but that doesn't buy you anything. One of my buddies uh, who works out there, uh, I don't want to throw them throw them out in case that we were just talking about this uh, but they said hey uh i'm curious to see who makes the move first to save their own job will it be the the gm who fires the coach will it be the coach who moves the quarterback out will it be the president who fires the gm who's going to make the move first because uh if you check out the great rider fans message board there, yeah, exactly. It's 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 the, it's the office. It's the, stand, the free, yeah, exactly. The freeway standoff. Uh, who, who's going to make the move first to save their job? Because there is on. The, uh, I love the Rider fans message board. There's nobody. Uh, there's nobody who is free from the thought that you should be fired in a certain segment. There's right. people like nope. Craig Reynolds has to go. Jeremy O'Day has to go. Dickinson has to go. Fajardo has to go. So who who makes the first move? And you know, was was this person's theory? And I thought. Oh, that's really good. I'm going to watch for that. And is this the first move to your theory of, hey, we've got hope for 2023. We, we, didn't, we weren't in the playoffs the year we hosted the Grey Cup, which, Marsh, they're not going to make the playoffs in the year they host the Grey Cup. I was just thinking the exact same thing. Come on. I, that, is, that is organizational failure. Um, that, is, that is so bad. You, had, you knew you had the runway for it, too. It's so bad. Oh. It's and I don't say this uh, just because I call games for the bombers. I don't say this reveling at all. I say it more mystified that this is the offensive line you put out there in a year that you're trying to go to the Grey Cup. 
you didn't have Duke Williams. Um, I'm trying to say, I don't want to say under control or in line. You didn't have Duke Williams buy in more this year. And I don't know how much they tried in all these aspects, but you had some injury problems. I get it. They all have those, but you, I'll never, you put up Natai Rogers for nine games in a year in which you're trying to make the Grey Cup. And I don't understand. Uh, you didn't try, you didn't go American on the interior offensive line at some point to tighten that up. You didn't do this and this and this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's rough because the stars of 2019, the guys who were the stars of 2019, is, is Kyron Moore the, the only one back next year? Because Fajardo and Shaq Evans and guys like that are what Remember Shaq Evans in 2019? Yeah, yeah, I do. Shaq Evans in 2022, for whatever reason, is not is not the same player. And I thought that guy was on a rocket ride to the moon after that year. Uh, it's a great place for us to wrap up the Riders discussion right there. He's just like not making the playoffs in a great cup here in which you're hosting with the runway being there and some of the moves that were made that were wrong and the coaching decisions and lack of control of the rooms. Like there's a, there's a lot to work on there, which I think is the over-encompassing conversation here that Fajardo is the guy who's going to get sat down and everybody's going to be talking about it like we just did. But there's bigger issues at hand for that franchise right now moving forward. So uh, we only have a, about 90 seconds here to be able to wrap up, DT. But I want to ask you about the biggest news of the week, which is Jesse Gibbon getting his first start for the Edmonton Elks. Uh, <laughs> Chris Jones, GM of the year. Uh, we, When I saw that come out, I thought of you because I was like, wait a minute, they traded what they did to Hamilton and he's just getting his first start now and they've already re-signed him and he hasn't played for them. I was like, okay, interesting. Um, but the actual thing I wanted to get just your quick 30 second thought on is uh, Kalaros, the extension, the re-signing. I wrote an article on it at the start of the week and before the Fajardo news, I was going to do the podcast with you this week on all things Kalaros, but what does that mean to that franchise moving forward? Uh, I think it's great. They're giving Zach to be the, the chance to be the first quarterback to win six straight great cups. Perfect. <laughs> Take that, Edmonton Elks of the 70s and 80s. Um, 100% deserves it, deserves a raise. He is everything to that team. I, I can point out to all the stuff he does on the field. Mike O'Shea will say he's an incredible leader off the field. Right. And he is. he loves – I feel like he loves Zach Caleros for his incredible leadership and the way – guys respond so perfect deal had to be done from the bombers perspective and for zach he gets to stay where he's comfortable and win more great cups boom done wade miller kyle walters mike o'shea buck pierce uh zach Kalar, like that that group of five men it's like whoa the synergy that is created by that five is the reason why a lot of good things have happened so uh, he is Derek taylor at dt on ob is where you can find him uh, on social media i am at tsn underscore marsh thank you so much for following along it's time for dt to go get into some uh, vegas shenanigans it looks freaking beautiful there how warm is it out there 29 celsius oh yeah yeah it was pretty nice at top golf yesterday yep <laughs>